I tried to say this earlier when my microphone was off, but in case you've tuned in and you're expecting to see Pastor Kavakis here and you realize that I am not Pastor Kavakis, uh, my name is Scott Farrell and I'm privileged to be the associate pastor here at Warrington Bible Fellowship and it is a joy today uh, to get to meditate on the Word of God with you. I want to go ahead and invite you to open to the book of Proverbs chapter 14 verse 26 proverbs 14 uh, 26 and if you're in the old-fashioned analog bible that's a little past halfway in your bible right after the psalms well this being mother's day and also this being a, a another sermon in our series uh, this series that, that we're calling walk in the way of wisdom this series in the proverbs uh, i thought it would be uh, appropriate for us to consider uh, the, the ideals of the family. What are the important elements of parenthood and the family? And we're going to get very specific about this. Uh, but today is Mother's Day. We, we all belong to a family. Uh, each of us have a mom and a dad, and that's how we got here. And some of us come from adoptive families. Uh, we each come from come to this day, Mother's Day, very differently. Some of us, uh, as John said a few minutes ago, were born into our families. Some of us come from broken homes. And some of us, uh, when we think of our mothers even, uh, we don't think of them with joy, uh, but with sadness and perhaps even some angst as we, as we think of our mothers. And so uh, the good news is that, that today we're all going to be ministered to because we're going to discover, uh, just sort of as a level set, we're going to discover what the most important element of the family is and why that's so important. Before we do that, I want to I show you a little picture of my brother and me with my mom. And uh, you can see that, that uh, I haven't changed a bit. I'm sitting there in my mom's lap. I'm about a year old, and my brother is, is there off to the side. And, and I got to tell you, he is still very difficult to photograph and uh, to get a decent photo of. Uh, but that's, that's my brother and me with my mom. And my mom was somebody uh, who had an incredible amount of courage. She had guts. She had guts even to have my brother and me because uh, my parents had lost uh, our oldest brother, who I never met, uh, he died the day he was born, uh, several years before. Uh, this was partly because of some health issues my mom had. And so mom and dad both had a lot of guts uh, to, to continue to try to have children and to have my brother and me. And so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but your story is very different. You come from a different family. Uh, your thoughts are very different on this Mother's Day than from mine. And so today, we're going to take a look at the family uh, as God intends it, uh, and more specifically, what the most important element of the family ought to be, uh, what it should be. And what this will do is help you to, when you're, when you're thinking about your own family, when you're thinking about uh, yourself as a parent, and, and, uh, and the priorities that you need to have. Uh, and even if we're single today, uh, we're going we're gonna to understand a great truth that is the foundational principle for our lives. And so the truth that we're going to, to examine today is this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of family. 
fear of the Lord is the foundation of the family. And we're going to, to examine this by answering three questions. And the first question is, what is the fear of the Lord? I mean, we, we talk about it a lot. Uh, we call it reverential awe, and we, then we move on, uh, typically. And so today we're going to go a little deeper than that, and we're going to understand the fear of the Lord from Solomon's perspective, because he, after all, is the one whom the Holy Spirit inspired to write uh, verse 26 of chapter 14 of the book of Proverbs. The second question we're going to answer is, what are the consequences of fearing the Lord? And what we're going to find, of course, is that there, there are beautiful and wonderful consequences of fearing the Lord, and there are equally terrifying consequences of not fearing the Lord. And this is the reality that Solomon is thinking of when he uh, describes the fear of the Lord, when he mentions the fear of the Lord. And then the third and final question is one that we all ought to be considering whenever we read a passage of Scripture, whenever we hear a sermon, and that is, what should I do? Uh, what do I do with this? Uh, how, does, uh, how does this Scripture uh, uh, not just apply to me, but how do I apply myself to the Word of God? And so with that, allow me to read for us this, this short verse in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. And then we'll dig deep and find out what God has to say to us this morning. The word of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of his word. Well, as we get started today, uh, we, we need to note something. And that is that, that scholars don't agree uh, with exactly how to translate this verse. Uh, I read uh, just now from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and uh, you might be reading from another version of the Bible. Uh, for instance, the NASB uh, words it differently in English. It says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. And so the emphasis of these two translations is a bit different. The ESV can be paraphrased something like this. A person who reverently fears God is, is on sure footing in his life uh, because he's going to be following after God. And this gives him security that will also extend to his children. Now, in the NASB, it can be paraphrased something like this. A person who reverently fears God is on sure footing in his life, just as in the ESV. But this same person has refuge in God in the same way a child finds safety in his parents. And so what we see here is that the ESV, the English Standard Version, places an emphasis on a parent's fear of the Lord and how that fear of the Lord, the benefits of that, extend to his children. While the NASB places an emphasis on, on God as a father figure who protects the one who fears him. So what do we make of all of this? I mean, which, which of these translations is right? Uh, are, are we, are we going to really miss out if, we, if, we, uh, if our Bible has the, the wrong translation? Well, what's clear is that we don't know exactly which one the Holy Spirit intends for us to understand, but I think we can actually look at both of them and realize that both meanings are abundantly biblical. 
And so we don't need to worry. There's no conflict here because the fundamental uh, principle uh, of, of both of these translations is that those who fear God are safe. And this has been a lesson that we've been learning ever since the beginning of Proverbs. And in fact, in almost every book of the Bible, uh, we read about this. Uh, but the, 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 the uh, picture is very clear here. Verse 33 of chapter 1 of Proverbs says, Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. There is also safety for children whose parents fear the Lord, uh, because after all, this is why Solomon is wanting to teach wisdom to his son, right? And he talks about this in verses 8 and 9 of Proverbs chapter 1. He says, hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. You see, mom is in on this, too. So forsake not your mother's teaching. Are a graceful garland. These teachings are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In other words, wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord is good for you, son. So listen to this wisdom because I want you to fear the Lord, too. And so, in other words, uh, there is this, this great benefit of fearing God, and even our children receive the blessings of knowing God because they have parents who are guiding them in the right direction. And then Paul affirms all of this in Ephesians chapter 6 in the first three verses. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What Paul is not saying here, by the way, kids, is that you must obey your parents in everything, including when they want you to do evil. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying to obey your parents as an act of worship to the Lord, for this is right. And then Paul goes on to, to uh, uh, say in verse 2, to, to quote the commandment that we're all familiar with, honor your father and mother. And this is where it gets challenging for us uh, if our parents are somebody or some people who have really challenged us in some negative ways, and I'm putting it very mildly here. But you see, Paul then reminds us that this is the first commandment with a promise. And what is that promise? In verse 3, he says uh, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's the, God, that's the promise that God made uh, when he gave Moses this commandment. And so, uh, are there challenges sometimes in honoring and obeying our parents? Absolutely. But praise be to God by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. You have uh, the way to honor your father and mother. God will provide you the way. He will make it possible if you are willing. If you are willing. But the crux of all of this is that when mom and dad fear the Lord, it benefits the children. We're speaking in an ideal sense here. And, and when children fear the Lord by doing as God commands, they are also blessed because they're going to be on the straight and narrow path and be protected from all of those things we know that are out in the world that are so dangerous for us. But you know what? Children can even be a blessing to their parents when they fear the Lord. I'm going to show you a picture here of my great-granddaddy Browning. His name was Leander Scott Browning. You know where my first name came from now. 
Uh, and he was, uh, to say the least, according to my granddaddy Browning, his son, he was a very profane man. He was full of anger. Uh, he uh, did not know the Lord, and it showed in all that he did. Well, one day, my, my granddaddy uh, was helping his dad uh, to load a wagon. My, my great-granddaddy drove a team of horses in, in a big cargo wagon, kind of like the 18-wheeler, but, but with, with horses back in the day. And something went wrong, and a bunch of stuff fell off the wagon, and my great-granddaddy just launched into this string of profanity and, and anger and, and so on. But my granddaddy, uh, my, my, my great-granddaddy's son, my granddaddy, had been saved at the little church up on the hill. And so he knew the Lord, and he challenged his dad. And he said to his dad, we're not going to do another cotton-picking thing until you get your heart right with the Lord. And so that was the wake-up call for my great-granddaddy. And he did become a believer, and his life was changed. His life was changed. And that was because... Uh, of the fear of the Lord that my granddaddy had and he was brave enough to challenge his father and to lead him to the foot of the cross. And so with all that being said, I think this is how we can sort of combine these two ways of translating verse 26. There's that fundamental truth that the fear of the Lord makes a person safe. But then there's the extension of that truth that it always benefits those around us. And so as parents, if you happen to be a parent who fears the Lord, you can be assured and, and, and uh, comforted by the fact that your fear of the Lord is a blessing to your children, even if they're not real fond of all of your decisions. And the reason for that is that because in your fear of the Lord, you're going to learn to love and care for your children in the same way that God your Father cares for you. It's really that simple. And that in turn leads them to the gospel. It doesn't save them. This passage is not saying your children are saved because you fear the Lord. No. But what this does is it teaches them about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you lead them to the foot of the cross through your fear of the Lord so that they have the knowledge of saving faith and then perhaps they will uh, come to saving faith one day as they reflect upon what you have taught them. But you see, we, we've been talking a lot about safety here. Uh, what, what exactly are we safe from? I mean, what is the refuge that we need? And this leads us to uh, our first question. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Because there is an element of not being safe with God. I, th this idea of reverential fear, we, we, we banty that around a lot and we use that phrase. And I think sometimes in using that phrase, what we do is we brush aside the truly terrifying things about God. God is almighty. He is on His throne over the entire universe because He created it and He created you. You are a tiny little creature who is bowing before the almighty God. A God who is perfect in all of His ways. 
the God who is holy and right and just, the God who can judge you, who has the right to judge you, who has the right to decide whether you live or die. That's who we bow before. And this is something of what true reverent awe, reverent fear of the Lord means. And I think in our culture, we have lost that true reverence in many ways by being super casual toward God and even rejecting God as just sort of this old-fashioned relic that we can just uh, put in a museum. But listen to the words of Christ in Matthew 10.28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is he talking about here? He's not talking about the devil. He's talking about the Father, our Father in heaven. Likewise, Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why is that? Because he is our judge, our righteous judge, and we are sinners. And so the situation is dire. It's absolutely uh, urgent is the word I'm looking for. Our God is a fearful God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now this is something that Solomon understood perhaps more than we do today. And there's a vivid example of this from the passage that that John read a few minutes ago in 2 Chronicles 7, beginning in verse 11. This is his own experience with God. And look at the promises that God makes, the conditions that God sets forth here. This is the story of when Solomon had finished the temple in Jerusalem and he had done a good job because the Lord appears to Solomon and says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. You see, Solomon had followed every jot and tittle of God's instructions on how to build the temple. And so God declared it was a worthy place for his people to come and to worship him and to seek atonement for their sins. But then in verse 13, God says something that's even alarming. He says, when I shut up the heavens, not if, but when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, who is he sending all this to? He's sending it among his own people. I I think this is an aside, but I think sometimes when we read a passage like this, and then we think of coronavirus hitting our country, and and hurricanes uh, like the one that hit New Orleans, and we start to be tempted to, to, to be able to think we know the mind of God somehow and we oh well God sent that hurricane to judge New Orleans for all of the sin that's there or God sent this coronavirus to to judge our nation because we've we've passed laws that are ungodly and so on and so forth but brothers and sisters there's a big difference between America and the nation of Israel America is not in a covenant relationship with God Israel was and by extension as his people we are 
And so God sends these, these disasters among His own people to test our faith and to challenge us and to make us realize that we need Him. And God sends these disasters among my people and then in verse 14, He puts a condition on it, an if-then condition on uh, how God will deal with His people. He says, if my people who are called by my name, not the neighbor next door who is living a lifestyle that is ungodly, but if my people who are called by my name, if I who confess Christ uh, as my Lord and Savior, if I uh, as as a member of the kingdom of God, if God's people humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so, what's at the root of all of this, is that if and when we fear God, there is going to be blessing for us. God will hear our prayers. God will heal our land. God will, will forgive us of our sins and give us that eternal hope that we have. And then in verse 17, uh, God even makes an if-then promise to Solomon. He says, as for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked, in other words, you know your dad, you got to grow up uh, with his example. And what was his example? He feared me, Solomon. David feared me. And so if you walk in the fear of God, then, uh, and you do everything that, that I command you to do and keep all my statutes and my rules, then in verse 18, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with, your, with David, your father. And so there again, there's this great blessing, this wonderful consequence of fearing the Lord. But look at what happens if we don't. In verse 19, but if you turn aside and forsake all the things that I've commanded you to do. In verse 20, then I will pluck you up from my, up from my land. You see, the land belongs to God, not to us. Then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that, that is consecrated in my name, I'm going to cast out of my sight. And then the, the people who are outside of the nation of Israel, the people who are not God's chosen people, are going to walk around and walk by and look upon all of this and scratch their heads. They're going to be astonished and say, why in the world has the Lord done all of this? And then uh, in verse 22, they're going to answer their own question. Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so what we see here is, uh, on, on a grand scale, the conditions for the national forgiveness of sins for Israel. But vor- verse 14 also describes for us in wonderful detail what exactly the fear of the Lord is, how it's actually played out in our lives. The fear of the Lord consists of humility, bowing before the great God, the almighty God, 
true reverence and fear and awe, recognizing that we are nothing but sinners who deserve His wrath, and we depend completely upon His mercy. The fear of the Lord also consists of prayer, of, of, of a constant uh, uh, communion with God as we not only lift up our concerns to Him, but as we listen for His voice as He speaks to us through the Scriptures. And that leads to, the, to another uh, element of the fear of God, and that is this longing for God to seek God's face constantly every day in our lives. We want more and more of Him and less of us, as John the Baptist said. And then, of course, there's the fourth uh, uh, true element of true and genuine fear of the Lord, and that is repentance. If we don't fear the Lord, we're not going to feel the need to repent of anything. And true repentance means to, to be convicted of our sin, to turn away from it because we want to live for God instead of our, our own selves and our own pleasures. But parents, can you see how, how this is the most important thing that you can do for your children is to demonstrate the fear of the Lord in your own life? They need to see what that looks like. Whether, whether you homeschool or not, whether you disallow your, your kids to date or not, or whether you, you have your children memorize hundreds of scriptures, are, are, those things are not the measure of your fear of the Lord. And it's not the measure of their fear of the Lord either. Those things don't make them Christians. The measure of your fear of the Lord is your humility before God. It's whether you actually spend time in prayer with God. It's whether you, you long for God, long for His presence, constantly seeking His face. And it also means that you truly repent of your sins. Mom and Dad, do you give the impression to your children that you never get anything wrong? That you never do anything wrong? That all of your decisions are right and just? Isn't that taking the place of God? You see, our children need to see you repent, appropriately repent. And they need to see what true repentance looks like. Recognizing sin, turning away from it, and turning toward God, and seeking after God. Just as King David, Solomon's father, did. Oh Lord, wash me clean. Make me whiter than snow. That confession, that's a great confession in itself because it's acknowledging our own filthiness before God. And it's acknowledging that God is the only one who can wash us clean. That we need to be cleaned. And praise be to God, we have Him who can do that for us as we bow in repentance before Him. Our children need to see that. But you know, some of us have older children, they've moved on, they're out of the house, and we, and we may be looking back with regret of how we, we conducted ourselves. What we need to know is that even so, our true fear of the Lord now is making an impact on their lives. 
Yes, we, we, we need to confess our sins in that area if we have sinned in the way that we've raised our children. But on the other hand, uh, we do believe in a merciful God who can use even, uh, even the things that we've done wrong for His glory in the lives of our children. And so there's always that hope. There's always that hope. And so this leads us to, to the, the great consequences of fearing God, our, our second question. The consequences are, are very obvious in Solomon's experience. We, we read about it in this passage. There's the forgiveness of sins. God hears our prayers. And he also gives us physical and spiritual protection. That was especially uh, important for Solomon back in those days because the nation of Israel was surrounded by hostile nations. And so that physical protection was, was, uh, was always on uh, the mind of whoever was the king. But you see, the consequences are also obvious of abandoning God. Solomon experienced this too because he built altars to foreign gods. Uh, he he uh, married foreign women. He did a whole lot of things that God forbade him to do. And what he found out is that God never blesses sin. Not in a million years is God ever going to bless a sin. Never going to do it. And so after Solomon came king after king after king who did what was evil in God's sight. There were a few who did what was, was right in God's eyes, but most of the kings abandoned God in some way, shape, or form. And what did this lead to? It led to exactly what God promised. It led to the breakup of the nation of Israel. And after several hundred years in captivity in Babylon, the only thing that's left over is this faithful remnant who returned to God's law and worshipped God, but they had no king, they had no leader, and they were wondering what in the world was going to happen. And this was about 400 years before Christ. So it's very clear what the consequences of not fearing God are. It's destruction. And that can happen to the nation of Israel and it can happen in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, I have never seen a broken family, for instance, where somebody in the family has not abandoned God. And usually it's either mom or dad. That's just a universal truth. And there's no getting around that. I think we can look at it like this. You know, we're, we've called this series in Proverbs, Walk in the Way of Wisdom. And that's actually uh, 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 one of the verses, uh, one of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that we are called to walk in the way of wisdom. And the way, of course, we're supposed to do that is by fearing God first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And the fear of the Lord, again, uh, means that we realize the real danger of not fearing God. And so I think we can look at it like this. My, my brother and I, when we were teenagers, we went hiking a lot. And one day we were, we were actually at Old Rag Mountain, and we were somewhere near the bottom of the mountain. And, and we had had enough hiking experience so far to, to begin to, to get a little bored with the trail, you know. Uh, so we thought, well, let's go see what it's like off the trail, as if anything's going to look different, you know. Uh, and so, for once, I was smarter than my older brother, and I only went about 50 feet off the trail, and 
thought to myself, well, this is far enough. I'm going to go back to the trail where it's safe. You know, I don't, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to risk getting lost, but my brother was older and more experienced, so he went on, and uh, so I'm standing back at the trail, and all of a sudden, I hear my brother shouting at the top of his lungs, Scott, where are you? I'm over here, Jim, and he's hollering, we're hollering back and forth, and, and he finally got back to the trail, and I've never seen my brother more terrified in all my life. And the reason he was terrified is because he'd gotten, I don't know, 100 or 200 yards off the trail. And all of a sudden, he realized he didn't know which way the trail was. He didn't know, uh, he didn't know where he was. And he was about to get lost. And you know what that can be in those, in those uh, woods uh, in Shenandoah National Park. You can, you can very easily lose your way and you could end up spending a couple of nights by yourself out in the woods. And I don't think he had any water with him when he did this either. So it would have been a very dire situation. But you see, this is, a, this is an illustration of, of what can happen to us when we don't fear God. Uh, we, we begin to make uh, decisions like, well, hey, let me, let me go off of God's way and let me try this over here. Let me see what this is like over here. And, and we get sucked away uh, from uh, godly wisdom. We get sucked away from uh, the good things, the blessings that God would have for us if we feared Him. And so fearing God always means blessing in life. Not fearing Him always means destruction. This is just the way it goes. And as we fear the Lord, and again, I speak to you as parents or as children, as a single person, uh, as, as older parents who have kids who've grown up and they've gone away, uh, this is what always happens uh, when you fear the Lord, you have an impact on the people around you. And, and this is like, uh, this reminds me of, of the gypsy villages. We've all heard uh, uh, the, our Romanian friend, uh, Brother Ovidio, uh, talk about what happens when he goes and, and ministers in a gypsy village. And I've, you know, some of us in the church have been there, I have too, and witnessed this happen. He'll share the gospel and, and people will come to saving faith. And, and before this happened, the village was full of violence and, and abuse. The children weren't, were not properly cared for and so on. But Pastor Ovidio says uh, that once there are some people in the village who become believers, they begin to make more disciples, and the village changes. There's a, there's a tangible impact on the village. The violence declines. The, the, the crime declines. And the whole tenor of the village changes. This is exactly what happens when we fear the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters who are parents, you can be assured that when a parent fears the Lord, this protection will extend to their children, to your children. Not save them, but this protection will extend to them and they will learn through your example the ways of God. So this leads us to our final and third question. What do we do with all this? What do we do? How do we apply ourselves to this truth? Well, first, by understanding that, that foundational concept that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of your life, whether you're a parent or whether you're single. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of everything. 
and that what the fear of the Lord looks like is humility and prayer and longing after God and true repentance. And, and then also realizing uh, the great blessing of your fear of the Lord and that it will have an impact on those around you, especially those of you who are parents as you raise your children. You see, as parents, we need to remember that no matter how old our children are, that the safety that God gives you under the shadow of His wing extends to them if they will honor your genuine faith. They need to see that all of your decisions about your own life, much less theirs, come from your healthy, reverent fear of God. And so this might be a moment for you where you need to examine yourself. You need to do a little self-examination with your Bible open. Maybe you realized you have not uh, been in humility before God. You have not been spending time with God in prayer. You haven't been seeking God in every aspect of your life. And maybe you need to repent of some sins as the Holy Spirit brings them to mind and as the Word opens your heart and your mind. But as parents, I, I think every Christian parent is tempted to place unintentionally a higher importance on teaching self-discipline to our children rather than genuine faith now listen to me carefully self-discipline is incredibly important and it is a very worthwhile thing uh, to teach our children but we we end up thinking that that if I just teach them enough of the habit of doing Christian stuff like youth group and memorizing scripture and not allowing them to watch TV and, and, and uh, listen only to Christian music, then somehow they're going to be saved. Again, those are good things uh, to, to teach your children, that self-discipline. But we should never confuse self-control, self-discipline with a genuine fear of God. Even an unbeliever can be self-disciplined. And do good things. What we really want for our children is for them to have genuine faith that then gives birth to self-control in the Lord. You see, this is why God you made you your children's parents. <laughs> you get to be a living testimony of the blessings of fearing God, of true faith in Christ, of the eternal physical and spiritual safety that we one day will have when our Lord comes again in glory to take us home to the new heaven and new earth. And so we don't want to teach our children a works-based faith. Just do these things and you will be godly. What we want them uh, to, to have is a real relationship with God. With, to, to, we want to teach them about the living God who is to be feared. Yes, feared but reverently and with awe as well. We want them to have a real relationship with the living God that is rooted in humility and constant prayer and a deep longing for God and with real repentance. And the only way that they're going to know those things is if you show it to them, if you live it out yourself, if you are constantly growing in the Lord in your relationship with Him and learning to be holy as He is holy. I think Paul uh, beautifully 
sums up in large part this truth that we're talking about in Romans chapter 8. And in fact, I love this. Uh, Diane did not know I would be turning to this passage when she picked our first song this morning uh, that, that is based on this very passage. And so the Holy Spirit uh, must want us to hear this. So Paul, in beginning in verse 31, says, If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what we sang a little bit ago. In other words, we have nothing to fear as long as we fear God, ironically. We need to fear God so that we have nothing to fear. And then in verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Isn't this exactly the kind of parents we need to be? We need to be the kind of of God-fearing parents who who graciously give our children everything they need, namely to teach them about the living God and teach them how to come to saving faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we do that, of course, through humility and prayer and and longing after God and repentance. Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? This is a rhetorical question here. The, 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 uh, the implication here is that Satan tries to condemn us, but he can't do it. He can't do it. Nobody can bring a charge against us when we belong to Christ. We are completely safe from condemnation because our Lord took our condemnation upon Himself and poured out His blood for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We are no longer condemned. There is no condemnation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say that Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. This is talking about that, that justification that, that uh, John uh, talked about in the catechism. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or let, let's just add or the coronavirus? No. Verse 37, and all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In Him, in Him, we are more than conquerors through Him for those who love Him. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. And it covers everything. There is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so again, here's this blissful irony, this wonderful irony, that the God in whom we fear is also the God who loves us. And He wants us to know His love and experience His grace and His mercy. This God who is our righteous judge also pours out His grace and His mercy. Doesn't that give you a better perspective of what grace and mercy means? That the God who has every right to to say whether we live or die has had mercy upon us. And his covenant, brothers and sisters, is that nothing will separate us from his love through faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely 
nothing. This is what we want our children to see on this Mother's Day. And this is the lesson for every single one of us. The fear of the Lord is good for us. It always brings safety to us, blessing and life. And the fear of the Lord is the foundation for your family. It's the one thing that you can provide your children that is more important than anything else. And what is the fear of the Lord? It's humility, prayer, longing for Him, and true repentance. What are the consequences of the fear of the Lord? Eternal, physical, and spiritual safety. And that safety extends to your kids as they learn and grow up, Lord willing, by your example. as they learn to fear the Lord as well. And so what do we do with all this? We remember that whatever the condition of our family or what, whatever your memories might be, good or bad, fear the Lord. Walk in the eternal safety of God's love as you love Him. And then just watch and see what He does with that. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are uh, not only a God who is to be feared, but also a God full of mercy and grace. And so, Father, if there's anyone listening right now uh, who wants safety in you, I pray, Father, uh, that, that they would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the only one who can save them from their sins. And I pray uh, that as they come to saving faith, that you would immediately fill them with a joy and a relief, knowing that they are safe in you. I pray that you would give them a longing uh, to be with other believers, a longing for your word. I pray that, that as they seek your face, that, that you will reveal yourself. I pray, Father, uh, as well, uh, that, that each of us, uh, a new believer and mature believers would repent of our sins, would truly bow down before you and repeat the words of King David who said, wash me, wash me, make me whiter than snow because only you can do that, dear God. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.